morning. Thank you again for having me here. Um, I, I feel like I'm getting to know more people each time I come back, and that's um, really special to me. And I've brought my husband this time, so I've got Rob with me. Um, he asked me as we were getting ready this morning, he said, what's the church like for heating? I said, actually, it's, it's normally fine. And then we got here and everything was broken. Um, so God bless the people running around this morning, making the lights work and the instruments work and the power work. Um, thank you very much to some people who work very hard in this church, and it's really apparent. Um, this morning, I want to talk about servanthood. A couple of weeks ago in my church, um, a couple of members were talking about another person in the fellowship. Luckily, it was a very good, positive conversation. And they were describing what this person does in the children's work and how she puts lessons together and the crafts together and just the lengths she goes to to tell the youngest group that we've got in our fellowship, the toddler group, about how God loves them. And as they were talking about her, one of them just said, she's such a servant. And he said it with such warmth and admiration and respect, like he was clearly bestowing the highest compliment he could think of on this lady in our church. And it it really got me, and I got to thinking of, I'm pretty sure that when he said, she's such a servant, he was saying it in the exact tone and feeling that the Holy Spirit would say. And it just felt like God was speaking through um, this member of our church And I just thought, yeah, this is what God really values in his house and in his family. And it um, prompted me to go away and look at the scriptures again on what it means to be a servant. Um, And out of that has come this message. And one of the key verses I found was from 1 Peter 2, verse 16, which says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So God wants us to be servants. And even Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. And as I've looked at the word again, it's just really brought home to me. The world needs servants, not more leaders or rulers or celebrities, servants. Because servants do the work. Servants turn up, roll their sleeves in, wade into the mess and get things done. Servants get up close and personal to people who really need help. Servants are willing to stoop down to lift others up. Servants put aside their own agenda, their own priorities, their own wants to serve God and his agenda and his priorities. Servants will surrender their own position, their own power, their own authority in order to bless others. Servants leave room for God to honour them instead of honouring themselves. Servants are given over to God so that God can work through them to build others up. Servants care more about doing good than looking good. Servants is what the world needs. And sometimes in church we talk about servant leaders and that's good. We want servant leaders. But you know what? Our homes need servant parents and servant children, and servant husbands, and servant wives. And in our town, we need servant workers, and we need servant bosses, and we need servant administrators, and we need servant politicians, and we need servant teachers, and we need servant students. The world is in need of servants. I know God is calling his people to be an army of servants who are willing to go out and help other people. 
And he measures greatness in his kingdom, not by fans following or acclaim, but by the level of service we give to others. And I think sometimes in Christians we can... um, We can be in danger of overlooking this great and high calling we have to be servants. And I think if we're ever in danger of being in that position of not valuing that, we need to go back and look at Jesus. Because Jesus came as our example of what a servant is. Um, Philippians 2 verse 7 says, Jesus made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And Jesus in the Gospels says of himself, um, that he, as a son of man, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom of many. Any of us who are going to one day into heaven, we enter it because Jesus came to serve. To be a servant was not too lowly for Jesus or too dishonorable. And where would we be if he hadn't come to serve? What would have been lost if Jesus had thought being a servant wasn't worth his time? Our salvation, our lives, our future, all depended on Jesus coming to serve and to be a servant. You think of the passage where Jesus cleaned and washed his disciples' feet at the Lost Supper. And it was so strange to me because um, I read these verses where Jesus said, you know, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you should wash one another's feet. And if I have given you an example, then... Um, you should do as I have done for you. And on the day I read this passage recently, as I was studying this, I was putting my four-year-old daughter to bed that evening, and she was kind of squirming in bed and not settling, and she said, Mummy, my bed is sandy. (sighs) What? (laughs) My bed is sandy, Mummy, I can't sleep. So I don't be silly. So I kind of put my hand on the bed, and it was sandy. (laughs) How? How is this happened and she said well I did play in the sandpit today at nursery I'm like oh okay so I felt the bottom of her feet and her feet was covered in sand I'm not sure how later the next day she said I was throwing the sand in the sandpit so we've had to talk now about how we don't do that um so I had to get her out of bed and I took her to the bathroom and I washed her feet and you know and as I was I sat on the floor with her with wet cloths and I was just wiping her feet ever so gently trying to brush all the sand off. It just struck me of what a close and intimate act that was. And it just amazed me to think that Jesus had done that for his disciples. And it taught me that you can't serve somebody and keep your distance at the same time. Serving calls you to get really close to people. Um, and it requires gentleness and it requires love. You know, Jesus, Lord of all, came among us in our messy, sandy feet lives to serve us, even to the point of washing his disciples' feet. So one of the great advantages of serving is that it draws us closer together. It breaks down barriers. It's an opportunity to love. And if the Lord of all can wash feet and not be diminished in himself, then we can get up close and wash people and serve people too. Um, Romans 7 verse 6 says, Now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we can serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Because, you know, being real in the world out there, serving 
can be seen as a way that's humiliating, where the lower people serve the higher people. The unimportant serve the important. The poor serve the wealthy. But that's not how we serve in the way of Jesus, in the new way. Under Jesus, we can acknowledge who we are in the fullness of Christ. We can see ourselves for all of our value and worth and still serve others and not lose anything of what makes us wonderful in Christ. We can serve under Jesus with authority. We can serve with power. We can serve with dignity because we're serving in a new way. And that means we can be secure enough to get down and do that. sometimes the dirtiest job, sometimes the most lowly job, sometimes the job nobody else wants to do, the messy job, the hard job. We can do all of that and know it's not robbing us of a little tiny part of our dignity because all of that is secure in Jesus. The great thing about this is when we realize that Jesus has called us to serve and to bless others and how much he values that, it's open for us all to do throughout our lives every day. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, to the Father, through him. This means that when we're serving, it can be done by anyone. The most low-positioned, ignorant, doesn't know what they're doing, unskilled, dumbest, I can count myself in that, position, any of those kind of Christians who feel like they're not knowing what they're doing and they're not really a proper Christian compared to that person can recite Deuteronomy by heart, doesn't matter. You can still serve. You don't have to be able to stand on your head and sing Amazing Grace. You can serve. And God values serving. Any Christian can serve and worship God through this. So we're going to drill down a little bit in some of the practicalities of so what does serving look like? Where do we start if we're going to serve? Well, the first place we start with serving is that we serve the Lord. Um, Deuteronomy 13 verse 4 says, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey him, but obey his voice. And you shall serve him and hold fast to him. 1 Samuel 12, 24 says, Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. And Colossians 3, verse 24, I love this verse, just says, You are serving the Lord Christ. So we serve the Lord first because he is our master and our God. He paid the price for our lives. So we belong with him and we belong to him. He is our king We are part of his kingdom. He commands, we obey, he leads, we follow, he calls, we answer. We remember that God is not a cosmic vending machine spewing out goodies for us to wolf down, but he is our Father God. He is our Lord, and we serve him first because there is some great work to be done. We're called to serve him faithfully every day of our lives. We're called to serve him when we know it's rewarding instantly. And we're called to serve him when we know it's most decidedly unrewarding for the time being. We're called to serve him relentlessly, remembering all the time he served us first. And he's still serving us today and he loves us more than we could ever love him and he provides for us and we will never outdo him in the good we can do for him i sometimes have to tell myself that i can't go back in time 
And I can't wash the feet of Jesus in tears and perfume. And I can't wrap his body in linen after the cross. And I can't serve him and feed him and do those things that people who are around him when he ministered on earth could do. We can't do those things. But we can serve him today. We can bless him today. So that means for me, what makes Jesus glad needs to be my life work. What makes him pleased in life, that's my priority. What pleases God is my purpose. And I'm going to find my purpose and fulfillment in this life by being the servant of God. And so will you. And the amazing thing is, is when we get, well, what do we mean by that? What does serving God look like? It can mean serving people. God has chosen to accept service to him through other people being served. Hebrews um, 13 verse 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Um, And also Philippians says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know, the Lord, he's just, he's not like anybody else. He demands that we serve him by blessing others and lifting other people up. If we want to glorify God, we have to go help somebody who needs it. And he counts that, yes, that's glorifying me. If you want to express your love for God, you have to do good for somebody else. Look out for the interests of others. Be kind at every opportunity. And that is beautiful worship to God. I tell you what, not only this, God also wants us to um, serve our families 1 Timothy, I got that right. Yeah, 1 Timothy 5 verse 8. If anybody does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now those are strong words, but you know what? I've sometimes needed those words as a committed Christian in a church that needs lots of volunteers to keep it running. Sometimes I have been so busy trying to serve everybody else, I have neglected my home life. And verses like this remind me that actually... My first call of service as a Christian is to my husband and to my child and to my parents. And I need to serve those. So just, you know, for those of us who are really committed, if serving God means that you are sacrificing every available time that your family needs you, we need to go away and reconsider the balance. Serving and providing for our families is an essential part of servanthood. You know, your family needs food, shelter, time, wisdom, love, joy, They need you, and not you at your most tiredest, exhausted, drained, wrung out by the cares of the day. They need you at your most energetic. They need to be the first thing on your list, not the last thing. So I want to give you permission to prioritize serving your family and to try and make it easy for yourselves as Christians to serve your families. You know, there are things parents provide for their children that can't be provided through the most excellent school or through a government program or even through the best-run church youth group. There are things that we can only provide in the context of a family serving one another. So serving your families is a great starting point for servanthood. But it shouldn't be the end point. There's more groups of people that God has asked us to serve. And one of those is to serve the poor. We don't want to forget the other people out there. Um, James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. 
Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. And Isaiah 58 verse 10 says, If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as a noonday sun. You know, I find it very easy now to feel rich when I consider what life is like around the world. We live in a great country where lots of people live in relative comfort. I know that there are lots of people who still struggle, but still, on the whole, you can't deny England is quite a wealthy country compared to others. We know so many people in the world are stuck in crippling poverty. And I wonder if the answer to many people's prayers lies in the pockets of other Christians. So we're to give generously to the poor. We're to give often. We're servants and we can help people who are suffering. So I want to urge you, give to charity, give through your church, give often, be generous to those less fortunate to you. It's such a trite, simple thing to say, and I'm sure it's nothing that you guys don't already know and do, but sometimes it's such a basic thing of being a Christian, we can forget to say it, because we just assume we've said it recently, and sometimes we haven't. And you know, God didn't forget to say it. God says it again and again and again in his word, be generous to people who don't have enough food, who don't have enough money, who don't have enough. He wants his people to be a people who go out and alleviate the suffering of others. You know, we can be blessed to live in this country where there's even a benefit system. I know it has its failings, but at least it's there. That people who might not have a job might still be able to receive something. Lots of people don't even have that. And although we can be blessed to live here, we know we're not more worthy, we're not more human, we're not more chosen than those who were born into poverty. So, this is just a reminder, let's do what we can. And what you can do might be more and it might be less than the person sitting next to you can do. Doesn't matter. God doesn't ask you to do what you can't do. He just says, you do what you can do. You decide what's um, in your capacity to give and you give what you give. And give out of what's in your capacity. Don't give what's not. (laughs) He doesn't expect that. God just wants us to serve with what we've got to those who might need help. Another group of people God asks us to serve is one another as Christians. Um, Galatians 5 verse 13 to 14 says, You were called to freedom, brothers, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, the Bible is filled with these commands for us as Christians to serve one another. It says, um, for as you have opportunity, let's do good to everyone, especially to those in the household of the faith. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Submit to one another out of reverence. You know, serving one another in the church, there is a unique opportunity of serving. It's good to serve your family. It's good to serve the poor. We should do those things. In the church, the advantage is how it should work is because we're all serving with the same spirit, with the same Jesus, with the same word of God. There should be this thing that serving is flowing in and out equally among the fellowship, that what you give out, you will receive in another way. 
And when we serve one another in the church, when we give out love and we receive love and we give out help and we receive help, we're demonstrating to the wider world, this is what life is like under the rule of Jesus. This is a picture of what God's kingdom is like. This is even a little picture of how the Trinity works, where God the Father serves God the Son, and they serve God the Spirit, and God the Spirit serves and loves them back. It's that picture of unity and difference grouped together. So I want to encourage you in the church, serve one another. Serve your worn-out workers who run around looking frazzled sometimes. Serve the single mum who always feels Guilty, even though she's there all the time for her kids. Serve the one who has a grumpy face but doesn't know it. Serve the one who's a bit too enthusiastic and a bit too full on and you kind of sometimes wish they'd just, you know, sit down and set up. Serve them. Serve the one who doesn't know what they're doing. Serve the one who is... Is that an alarm? Are we okay? Okay, good. <laughs> Let's serve the one who has to turn the alarm off and knows what they're doing. <laughs> Do good for one another. Seek one another's brilliance and um, welfare and prosperity and fulfillment. We're really not on fire, right? Okay. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> what I'm saying, let's do what we can to make the house of God as comfortable as possible for one another. Because some weeks it can be not easy to come through the church doors. But if we serve one another, we can help. And, you know, if we love one another like that, then the love should, like the cups, it should overflow from this fellowship into your surrounding um, community. You know, your unsaved family members should see how your church loves you. The neighbours who, who live on this road should see how this church loves one another. The people at work should be hearing testimony about how people in the church support one another. It's how we witness to what God is like. And there's one final group of people we're called to serve. Our enemies. Romans 12.20 says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And Jesus said in Luke 6, verse 35, Love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So the final group we serve is our enemies. This is where we have opportunity to make evident the power of the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Just as he died for sinners and gave himself up for them, so we can die to ourselves a bit and serve those who have sought our harm or who don't like us. So we do good for our enemies, we show them kindness, we show them generosity, we show them forgiveness. And now um, I will clarify a bit and just say that serving our enemies isn't the same as accepting and sitting under their abuse. David, in the Bible, served Saul, but he still ran away when Saul tried to spear him to the wall. It's okay to run. There's a woman in the Bible called Abigail. She served her husband, but she completely disobeyed his orders. Her husband Nabal gave an order not to give food and refreshment to David's armies as they marched them by. Abigail defied that and fed David's armies. And David said, well, because you fed us, I am now not going to come back and kill everybody in that household for not helping us. Her disobedience to her husband served her husband. 
Paul, when he was arrested in the New Testament and suffered injustice, he did not um, just um, lie or accept that. He defended himself. He availed himself to the justice system. He rebuked lies. He spoke the truth. So we should serve our enemies, but serving does not mean enabling our enemies' sin. And to be clear, abuse is sin. Violence is sin. Injustice is sin. So as a Christian, you can serve your enemies, but still defy those things. Still defend yourself. Still stand up for the truth. Still run away when people are trying to hurt you. Still put um, boundaries in place to stop people easily sinning against you. That is fine. Serving our enemies just means not withholding kindness, not retaliating evil for evil, not seeking somebody's downfall, but seeking their good and well-being. If we do all this, I promise you that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. And he has made plenty of promises to those who commit to a life of servanthood. You know, Proverbs says that um, whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And one who waters others will himself be watered. And later on, your Jesus says, even if you give just a glass of water to somebody who belongs to me, I will note it and reward it. Whatever work we do in the um, name of Jesus, whatever we do to honor the Lord is seen, is noted and is rewarded. So when we're moved out of love and compassion to give what is yours to somebody else, God will give what is in his hand to you. Still not on fire, right? Because this is where it's going to get cool, because God will reward us. Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, just like we saw earlier. Overflowing. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That beautiful image we had of the water just overflowing again and again and again. That's what happens as we serve. We can serve in confidence knowing that God is not going to run out of things to overflow in our life. And we need to remember that because it can be costly to serve. God knows this. He paid the ultimate price. But, you know, it says he faced the cross for the joy set before him. And you need to know that when you go out and serve and it's costly, there's joy set before you too. There's all these wonderful words written down here. Forgiveness set before you. Freedom set before you. Love set before you. Therefore, you know, we can serve. And the Lord is faithful to his promises. And he said that when the dust and ash settles on this life and every deed is done, those who have committed to serving others will not be empty-handed. They will be full of hearts, full of hands, full of God's blessings, full of the pleasures and delights that run through God's river. And more than that, Jesus said, if anyone serves me, in John 12, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You know, as we serve, we're serving in companionship with Jesus. So then, final, final bits. Servanthood is what God has called every Christian to. And as I've been studying this, I've just reminded that I want to be a doer of the word and not just a listener. And I'm sure you do too. We need to remember that we're called to serve. And the Bible is littered with commandments calling us to serve. You know, when we serve the Lord, we're proclaiming that God is sovereign. 
When we serve our families, we're proclaiming God's love. When we're serving the poor, we're proclaiming that God is the saviour who comes to rescue those who can't rescue themselves. When we serve our enemies, we're proclaiming that Jesus forgives. We're serving in the church, we're proclaiming God is a prince of peace. Serving is living, breathing worship that people can see happening. Serving is tactile witness to who Jesus is. Serving makes what God has done something people can touch and feel and experience. So I urge you, precious church, serve. And I'm going to give the final word to a final scripture. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Let all that you do be done in love. Amen.